0: Hey guys, and welcome to the podcast. So it's Luis here. I couldn't get um, Chris and Greg to join me because we have all uh, moved around a bit. So, Chris is now in the. Well, Chris has always been in um, the OC. Greg's now in Westwood. He actually used to be in Monrovia, which was extremely far. And then um, now I've relocated from my house in uh, Marina Del Rey to. Well, my apartment in Marina Del Rey to a house in um, San Pedro. So getting us all together has been kind of hard, so I'm going to try a call-and-response thing where um, maybe we do, like, fire not fireside chats but shorter pod, podcasts and then try a call-and-response and response to see what we think of each other's um, thoughts and ideas and sort of start a positive feedback loop in which we feed off of each other's ideas and sort of respond and see if, like, that works and you all can tune in and see um, see what you think and see what you like. Um, so actually I want to talk a little bit about um, something I saw uh, probably like a month ago, maybe two months ago um, in the Google I.O. Um, uh, conference um, and that's um, Polymer so Polymer is this idea that Google claims to be new and exciting that's never been done before um, but I've sort of seen Microsoft do an iteration of it with XAML and, uh, which it didn't work out in their favor for a, a myriad of reasons but you know, um, I thought I'd sort of Visit it because I've been thinking about it a lot, and I've been sort of wanting to talk about it. So, what Polymer is is a web component library, or, or a library for creating web components on, uh, for creating web components basically. And then web components is something that uh, Google also devised uh, further back. Um, but before we get to that, we need to sort of talk about how things have been built or have been built in the web in the last few years, and so if you've been doing a lot of front-end development, or maybe not a lot, but some front-end development, you've noticed sort of a pattern to ways of creating dynamic uh, DOM elements or elements on a page that sort of behave and do certain interactions, like maybe a calendar or a daytime picker and so on and so forth, right? Um, and sort of the way that you sort of do this is you feed in some sort of HTML or some, uh, you know, like DOM element. Uh, or how you, would, how you would have done it in the past is a feed DOM element into a sort of JavaScript function, and then using jQuery or just raw event listeners or something, give it some sort of uh, bindings, and then put it in the DOM and sort of spit out a, uh, a element version of that that you can you know do stuff to later and yeah, reuse or whatever, right? Um, and uh, so if you were to use jQuery, you just do like um, You'd basically make a jQuery version of it, add some data bindings to it, and then uh, put it in the DOM and spit back the jQuery element that you can then do whatever you want with it. Reference it, dereference it, you know, whatever, would what have you. Um, and by doing so, you've created a dynamic element. So, like for example, you a lot of like JavaScript plugins sort of work like that. Like if you look at the date picker plugin, you sort of you sort of target a div and then you dot date Picker it, right? Um, which, because they the way they do it, they extend the JavaScript, um, they, they extend jQuery um, and create a prototype for what it can do. And so you started seeing for a while the rise of. Um, and I guess you still, to the, to the extent, uh, see the rise of ways to create and prototype and extend elements, which is uh, not doesn't seem to be natively supported by JavaScript, but, you know, lo and behold, we've sort of done it, And unless you want to support IE6, in which case, you know, you're running into some issues there. You have bigger issues if you're trying to support IE6, but, you know, whatever, um, that you... You sort of see today, so you start seeing things like Backbone and Angular creating, uh, creating a, a framework, right? A framework to sort of do these things that people have been trying to do in the past, right? Um, and so, two things come out of that um, that style of building things. Or if you before, like assume, assuming that before Backbone existed and before that kind of stuff existed, uh, you'd run into two issues. One, there wasn't really a good way of Creating a JavaScript object or, or prototype um, on the web. Uh, and, and so you started seeing libraries like um, prototype.js and stuff come out, come out of that and sort of like help you do that. And the second thing you had to do was already have the HTML for the object you're trying to create in the DOM uh, or inline it in your JavaScript, which on either solution was kind of like not very good or not very clean or not very organized, uh, you know, things that you don't want to, things you don't want to see. Um, and so what you started seeing is, um, rendering or, or templating frameworks like, um, handlebars come, come along to sort of alleviate that. And so now if you tie like handlebars and like backbone, you have a really nice way of creating a, um, uh, creating a framework or a stack to do front-end development that makes it really easy to create dynamic content, right? And so much like you would see a jQuery library or... Um, like plug for, for for something that you want to do the idea of polymer is that they want to create an element for that so like you have an element that does like uh, a certain style of checkout or a um, certain style of um, um, like a certain input or certain behavior so you can define your own elements that you can then put out there for other people to use and by doing so you've created a composability on the web and you've sort of created um, objects that can be very robust and can interact with other objects you have um, you can define your own web components that work with other web components to do new and refreshing outcomes that you wouldn't have otherwise expected, right? Um, So you've created uh, something robust, something composable, something that you can organize. So all very nice things and good qualities that you want to see in uh, code and, you know, architecture, you've now sort of been empowered to do so without having to use a framework. Um, And that's a distinction that they sort of like really get into is that Polymer is not a framework. It is a library that helps you create web components that do these things for you and then you can share but if you were to take that um, prima facie at face value where you're just sort of like tossing out these framework components um, not framework components these uh, dom elements or these components that you're going to work together that you've sort of encapsulated javascript and dom and you know its own template or its own styling to it would look something like uh, akin to a composition a teenager would do when they cut out like magazines uh pictures and put them all on like construction paper right it would be but ugly but what they did was and that was actually very clever on their part is that when they really po- pushed it they co-released it with um their or not co-released but they co-pushed it with um their material design which sort of gives you a design methodology for how to sort of brand yourself with the google brand um by following these design steps uh, very similar to the Human Interface Guidelines where if you wanted to do uh, Apple's human, inter- human Interface Guidelines where if you want to be very Apple, you follow these guidelines and you sort of end up with a very Apple-style product. Uh, likewise, Google sort of released their version of that, which is actually very, very smart because um, in doing so, then all the components that you create with this Polymer library that is empowering you to build these material web components and... Um, Everything can now play with each other and look nice because you would now have a definition of how a material, a true material element should behave and be. So it's very, very exciting. Um, there are some challenges though. I've been, I've been playing around with it a little bit, um, and I've been sort of like trying to get a, a grasp on it. And the first thing that sort of sticks out to me is. Um, uh, well actually the, f- the very first thing that sticks out to me is that the the keynote speaker for Polymer was saying that is new and had never been done before. But it, this seems to me to be very akin to or very very similar to um, Microsoft's XAML, which was the extendable markup, which you would do like your, you would define your own HTML elements, give it a code behind in C sharp, and then you would reuse it wherever you wanted it to be to have your own custom DOM elements that sort of did their own thing. It's exactly the same, except that they've taken out the shenanigans of uh, C sharp and all of Microsoft stack, and sort of like in place put in the traditional web stack, which is like, hey, you got your you got your DOM, you got your styling, you got your um, your JavaScript that you can you can encapsulate, and now you can package it and you can link it to your HTML and then use it. Well, that's great, but that actually presents problem number two is um, I was noticing or that. Each linked element is now um, it now has to be loaded by the page, so it's a, a call, a, a network call that it has to do. And if you have a lot of these, then you're going to sort of get bogged down by um, all these calls, and it's going to slow down your initial load times. So, as far as I can tell, the only way you can really mitigate this is if you make to make it production ready, you somehow have to like compress the styling. Uh, and the JavaScript individually and you can press the the HTML also um, to to whatever extent you actually can and then you make a really small package, right? However, um, that still means that you're gonna have a call per element that you're importing. So I don't see how that's gonna be reconciled with like sort of the way that things are done now where you sort of concatenate all your JavaScript and you minify it and to one like application.js and then the same thing with your CSS or your compiled less or whatever, right? And then you sort of take it into one, compress and minify it, and then you have like amazing load times. If you do this right, you, you'll you have like maybe 200 microsecond m- uh, 200 millisecond load times, right? They'll be fantastic, right? Um, whereas when I used a lot of the The Polymer components, yeah, it's really nice and really easy to dev, and I make some interesting stuff, but the performance aspect of it is I'm looking at like one second load times, which, you know, in the grand scheme of things, isn't that much as the web gets like, you know, uh, the internet gets faster and faster. Like, maybe this won't be as important, but um, for now, I think it's still a very uh, significant distinction. Um, The third issue, uh, well, it's not an issue, but so, the next few releases of Polymer, I feel we'll, we'll have to deal with uh, mitigating this um, this issue where you, maybe you can take um, just the polymer components you want, sort of compress the, all the JavaScript, all the CSS into one file, and all of it into like one mega link that just does one uh, one callback, and we'll, we'll link everything. Or maybe there, maybe you're, maybe there is already a way to do that. I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, uh, something that I did. Um, did really really like about it was um, because you've defined your own DOM element, you can put in other elements that you define that can interact with each other. So, um, sort of the concept that I've played with this is like maybe a dynamic background that you have like um, defined your own trajectory or something once you place an element into it and sort of moves it and drifts it about. So you the JavaScript for your dynamic background would be like, hey, target all my sub-elements and then move them randomly, and then you can add stuff in there and then stuff is sort of moving randomly. So that actually, like, doesn't have any practical use, but is actually a really interesting thing that I saw. It's like, oh, like, the web is either, it's going to get very, very interesting if we adopt this and we start sort of seeing what we can do with this right so and also like all the business side bullshit is going to get a lot easier well you have like a checkout element like a stripe integrated checkout element where you just sort of define all the stuff that you want in the html and you don't really care that you don't care about the inner workings you don't care about the javascript and you, you you care maybe a little bit about the styling but you can style the actual element, so like the, it comes with its own styling, but you can actually apply styling on top of it, which I thought was really slick. Um, Because it's not a framework, it actually will integrate really cleanly and really easily as another layer um, onto your tech stack, but because it's not, it's another layer on your tech stack, if that makes sense. So you can define your Polymer elements inside, like, for example, like, handlebars, like, rail template, um, and it'll still work, not handlebars, rails, uh, handlebars template, um, and it'll still work with, like, maybe backbone, so it, it, like, integrates seamlessly, and you can still play with it, and you still maintain the logic, a lot of stuff, Um, but it's another layer that you have to, sort of, think for and account for. And uh, it might mess, not mess up, but it definitely changes the way you have to think about the way that you're doing things, which it could be for better or for worse. So that was, um, that was rather interesting. Um, what I don't want this to turn into is, and something that sort of happens with Google, is they'll come up with a really half-decent idea, um, or a, a very decent idea, And um, put it out there for, like, a trial use. So I remember this happened when the – before Hangouts came out, there was a – I think it was called Google One or, like, Google Weave or Wave um, that was basically, like, a very dynamic, um, like, Hangout-style thing that they tried for a while that they were trying to replace, like, Google uh, Gmail with – and um, ended up dropping and suspending, and out of that came the Hangouts integration into Gmail, or at least that's what it felt like. Um, I am concerned that maybe this library or this thing that they're trying to push it's gonna it's gonna sort of meet the same same demise. Um, but hopefully it won't, because it seems to be really pushed along with the Material Design stuff, and the Material Design seems to be really adopted. And so it's, so it's sort of like the two and two are holding in hand where like as more people adopt material design, which actually I read the whole, um, thing. Well, not the whole thing up until including the component section, like a good, a good chunk of the component section. Um, so all the basics, um, all the methodology and all that stuff about how you, materials should work. It's very, very thought out, very methodical. Um, and actually makes, if you apply it correctly, it will make really beautiful websites. Um, if applied incorrectly, you could probably make some ugly looking websites, but the same could be said for anything. Um, then the two should sort of feed into each other and propagate one will propagate the other one and so on and so forth and so we should actually see a really nice adoption of this and I'm hoping it takes off because I think that once you integrate this with a really strong front, uh, JavaScript front-end framework we're gonna see start seeing really beautiful really dynamic really interesting websites that take a lot less effort to develop and are more design driven and design focused which in the grand scheme of things Is probably the next move for the web And here's why The web, it's still in its infancy As far as I can tell It's sort of still figuring out what it is What it means to interact And we start seeing that Are really interesting websites Like there was the whole uh, If we go back to the or early 2000s There was like the solution The solution that sort of um, Uh, Adobe Flash provided, the reason Adobe Flash um, gained popularity for what it did as long as it did is because it was sort of unbound uh, by the limitations of the web and how everything was sort of like blocky and like squares and like it, it was it was awful um, back then. And you were sort of given a canvas and allowed to do what you sort of want to do and you can program animations and you can do this and that. And so it was very, very, very um, slick. If you look at it now, it's sort of gimmicky because there's no sort of – there's no – rigid or there was no methodology behind it. It was just sort of like, hey, here's the technology you can do what you want. And so people heard of, had to discover and figure out what they wanted to do. And um, some people made gimmicky sites, other people made like Home Start Runner and stuff like that. And you know, and then uh, YouTube came about and it was the the Flash Player and they were sort of do, able to do these things before like HTML5 and CSS3 said, okay, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll start supporting like, the video tag and what have you. And so the technology is finally catching up and the Design-wise, we seem to be figuring out that, for the most part, uh, whole-in-whole, pervasive devices and um, websites and what have you are poorly designed. Uh, Even even the good ones are, like, there are affordances that you can do. There are affordances that the objects on the screen have that um, aren't clearly communicated by signifiers as evidenced by some apps that you like download for example the iPhone apps that have to have the overlay tutorial for the first time you use things or Facebook is a great example where you can never find Anything as far as settings or permissions, where even the the youngest and sharpest and cleverest of guys or gals um, come in and are like, where the where the fuck am I supposed to go if I want to sort of figure out um, how I want to group things or which people I want to see? For example, if you were to sit down, if I were to sit down today and tell you, okay, um, you need to figure out a way to create permission settings for what is PC for the world to see what is just for your sort of raunchiest inner friends where you guys can say the most vile and like offensive of shit because y'all know how to hang and like it, or everybody has a really good sense of humor so like you can call Paco a wetback and like whereas like someone that's extremely PC and leftist or like like um, the, the Mexicans that can't hang will be like whoa that's like not kosher you know or whatever um, uh, Paco's like well you know whatever like that's like you know like you, Whitey, or you know whatever whatever it is that your groups have, right? Um, you definitely don't want want to see your family see that. You definitely don't want your coworkers to see that. And you might that's not something you might want to expose to the world. So let's say you want to write some offensive, comical swill that you want to in exchange enter exchange with your friends. Um, you'd be hard pressed to do that and do that well on Facebook. I'm pretty sure you'd fuck it up and you'd probably end up fired because uh, your boss would see it or some bullshit like that and where Facebook does not provide a good way to do that, that's not a failure of the technology, that's not a failure of the engineering team, that's a failure of vision and a failure of design. And it's nobody's fault that that's happening because people haven't sort of figured it out. So one one book that I'm sort of using to mitigate that and actually in reading it has dramatically improved the quality of the sites that i build because I can go back to the designer and sort of speak his language and be like, hey, I've noticed that you've designed this, the web doesn't support this, let's do it this way, and it still communicates what you were trying to communicate um, in the first place, right? Um, It makes for a much cleaner, seamless, um, less stressful experience on the web, which is what your users are going to remember. If it looks beautiful, but it doesn't work, or it doesn't work the way that you think it would, then it's a failure, and that's not because someone didn't figure out how to use your site. That's like, oh, the you know the user didn't you know take the appropriate time to figure that out. That's not their fault, um, because people are going to come to it, and there's sort of a a natural. There should be a natural tendency to pick it up. Otherwise, people are going to be frustrated and not be able to use it. Now, that is a an opinion thing, right? Like people people say, oh, that well, that's just your opinion. But um, time and time again, when you think of uh, really simple, really useful things that you use day to day, which which is why I read the well, where, I, where I read the design of everyday things. Um, no one should have problems with cars. Like everybody can get into a car and drive it. If that wasn't the case, if someone suddenly decided to change the way that steering worked, for example, that would Fuck everything up because you would, you, you wouldn't be able to get in a car and just drive it. You might crash into things. You might need to, like a whole different test, and that would be a fiasco. The car manufacturer that changes the way that steering works now, like if, is gonna there it, that model car is gonna fail. That would be a disaster. That wouldn't work. And. That was sort of what we had to figure out when we first came up with mobile devices and pervasive devices. Like where the Blackberry doubled down on like putting in a full QWERTY keyboard and stuff and whatever. Um, Say what you will about Steve Jobs. Like I don't personally like the guy. Like I thought he was an asshole um, when I saw him speak and he was full of himself. But he did figure out that the simple design of having a rectangle phone with one fucking button, two buttons max, was... All you needed, and then now you had a screen and like a way of interacting with your phone that was dynamic, and it was it was revolutionary. Like everybody, like thought, everybody, thought it was it was it was mind blowing, mind boggling People were like what they didn't get it. Um, like people were people were at his keynote, and they still didn't get it. It was it was uh, it was great, and that's sort of the transition that we need to do with the web. Where people are like, oh, you know, you can have your navigation bars and your your hamburger layout and like all this stuff. So I book for this. Swipe down for this. Swipe left for this. And they have all these affordances and all these things that they can do, but no one seems to know how to use it yet, or s- sort of communicate that directly, or in a way that meets meets the needs of a business. So that sort of brings me to the next thing is. Um, I feel like as the web continues to develop, so are the engineers going to have to develop. And the idea that an engineer is only good at one language or one part of a stack, especially if they're working in web, is just insanity. There's no way that's going to fly. To say, oh, I'm a backend engineer that only codes in Java is insanity. That If you are in that space right now, you are in trouble. And this is why. Um, Java is Fucking awful, And if you want to defend it, like, great, but first you should try out a couple other languages. You should try out Ruby, you should try out Python, you should try out, well, Python 2.7. You should try out um, C-sharp, you should try out other stacks so you can see what the faults of that language are. If if all you do is Java and all you defend is Java, then, and I'm just, I'm not picking on Java in particular, I'm just choosing that as an example. If all you do is one language and all you defend is that one language and you haven't actually tried any other languages to the full extent of a embrace, embrace, embracement to see what it has to offer, then you're missing out. You're you're not going to get the, the full experience. You're going to not see things that are just insanity in certain languages that you should be that – problems that shouldn't exist that just disappear by the sheer power of the language and the sheer power of the stack. Um, although Java might disappear and then you're in it. Maybe not in the near future, but somewhere in the future now that um, C-Sharp has been fully open-sourced, .NET has been fully open-sourced and you can run it on Linux. And so if you're doing a uh, a C-Sharp .NET project, you're no longer tied to an IIS deployment with um, Windows as your server. You can now release it like on Nginx with uh, using Mono to back it or the Microsoft version of Mono to back it that they've um, sort of ported everything over to. Which is really cool. That's actually a really smart smart part on um, Microsoft's thing. they're I think they're gonna probably move away from licensing and double down on the cloud, which is really smart um, as evidenced by Amazon <clears throat> But um, so yeah, the sort of the things that I've been looking at and thinking about these last um, these last few weeks and I'm just I'm really excited to be. A part of this field and maybe an early adopter to some of the elements. I mean, Polymer is still way in its infancy, but it's by far um, one of the most powerful tools that I've seen that I've actually been interested in and that I've actually used that can have the power to sort of push us from this infant stage of web development to a more sophisticated, more refined, more robust, more... Um, possible more like a like Web three O, like the next version of the web, as cliche, as cliche as that sounds. Um, and we should, we, I mean, we should all be really, really stoked for it. I mean, like I, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. All right, so that's it for now. Um, so something I've been trying to do for podcasts is I actually I want to do. At least for these podcasts, I know that we talk a lot of tech, but we should also talk about non techy stuff because if we're a just a full tech podcast, then that can get boring and mundane. And why why listen to mine when you can listen to the the millions of like really good quality podcasts that I'm sure are out there that people like talking about? Um, uh, some of them are kind of nerdy, people are kind of nasally. If I'm if I'm that way, I'm gonna try to get rid of that. Um, but this podcast was dedicated to a wine. So I've been getting into, well, I've been into wines for like maybe the last 10 years, but I've been getting into them in the last three or four years in a more mature and professional way. Um, And professional by by professional, I mean like really trying to appreciate the notes of the wine, the, you know, the the palate, the bouquet and all that good stuff. All the pretentious sounding stuff that actually, if you stop and and pay attention to, makes uh, your whole wine experience probably better. So I'm more into the the big, bold, and red wines, but um, today I thought I'd try something a lot more light, because it's been hot, it's been summery, um, you know, I'm in Southern California. So um, today's podcast is dedicated to Fontanella Family Winery. Um, I'm trying your Chardonnay from Mount, Beert, Mount Bedier, uh Napa Valley 2013 Vintage. Um, it's really nice. You got um, maybe a little bit of citrus on the nose. Uh, you know... Uh, I might not be very good at these things, but because that's all I'm getting. But um, on the palette it's actually very velvety and um, very buttery. It's really good. Um, if you get a chance, folks at home, I suggest you try it. Shouldn't be too expensive. Um, I got it from I got it from the office for you know for my <laughs> quote-unquote hard work. Um, I do you know I do work hard, but it's like I don't. I do it because I like the integrity of my work. I don't do it to get wine or, or rewards. But, um, yeah, so I'll see y'all next week. Hopefully y'all enjoyed the short, shorter podcast. That's maybe half an hour, if that. Um, and I'm really excited to see what Greg and Chris do. And hopefully we can get the crew together and have a, another Shooting the Bit podcast. Um, thank y'all for tuning in. Uh, catch us next time.